Welcome to Stories in Life. You're on the radio with Mark and Joe. We share stories that affirm your belief in the goodwill, courage, determination, commitment, and vision of everyday people. Our goal is that through another person's story, you may find connection, no matter your place in life. The stories we select will be inspiring and maybe help you laugh, cry, think, or change your mind about something important in your life. Join us for this episode of Stories in Life. I thought one of the crew members was playing some kind of practical joke on me and hid the dinghy. Oh, not funny. Well, (laughs) not funny in the dark. (laughs) I was thinking it was pretty funny uh, at the moment. Today, you're going to hear a remarkable story that happened on Lake Superior. Lake Superior is the largest fresh body of water in the world by surface, 160 miles by 350 miles, a size similar to the state of South Carolina. The temperature of the lake is very cold. In the summer, the average temperature on the surface in the middle of the lake is 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It is a very deep body of water, with depths up to 1,300 feet. It has a wonderful history, generations of Native Americans living in this area, and it's a major recreation area for many people today. It has over 200 islands, the largest of which is Isle Royal. Isle Royal is a nationally protected park. There have been many great books written about Lake Superior, its history, and its resources, including... Isle Royal. Today we welcome my friend and fellow sailor Gary Anderson. We join him now telling his story about solving a major dilemma. He and his fellow sailors became stranded on an island. This is his story of how this happened and what the crew did to solve the dilemma. I think you will really enjoy this story. It was really a warm day, unusually warm, and we had southwest winds that were blowing. Temperature continued to climb up, and so we uh, we dropped uh, anchor at on the sand spit of Outer Island, and we decided to uh, dinghy in uh, to shore. Now, uh, somebody that's not familiar with sailing to these islands, you can't run a sailboat right up to the shore because of the keel on the boat, so you have to anchor offshore a ways you hit rocks or get stuck or something if you tried doing that that's right yeah break the boat most of the boats in uh, the charter fleet have uh, dinghies like a tender that you could take and and climb into and row into uh, shore our boat clarabelle had an inflatable dinghy and but we could all fit in into it and so we all got into this dinghy and rowed ashore and it was mid afternoon beautiful day clear skies, warm. We're walking around in the sand spit 
which is beautiful, you know, driftwood, rocks, different things you'd spot. And we decided to play a game of uh, beach bocce. Perhaps some of you guys are uh, familiar with beach bocce out there, but you throw a, a lead rock and you each team tries to throw a rock as close to that target rock as possible. So we had a lot of fun playing that game. One of the crew members happened to come across a rock that had a hole right through the center of the rock. And it was a good-sized rock. It was probably four inches wide. Picked that rock up and brought it back to the boat. And uh, we anchored there. We stayed there that night. And then the next day, we had such a fun time hiking around the island. We said, well, we'll come back to this anchor anchorage again. We'll just sail around the entire island over the course of the next day and come back to the same anchorage. So that was the plan for the next day, which was now the third day out from the port uh, where we began. And it was another beautiful day. Got going probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. That's one of the nice things about sailing is that you're not in a hurry to get going in the morning. Why? Because the wind hasn't come up yet. You know, you can have a leisurely start to the day, have a cup of coffee, maybe some blueberry muffins, all fun stuff to do. Means you can have more fun the night before, too. There you go. You're right. So we began that uh, counterclockwise uh, path around Outer Island, but the winds had started to shift. I knew right away that where we had anchored the night before was not going to work, and so we decided to head over to Cat Island. And Cat Island is to the west of Outer Island. It's about oh seven, eight miles away. could easily make that over over there and so our intentions were we'll anchor at that island bridge i had never anchored there before but i had checked some resources there's a, a famous author that's written all about lake superior and has anchored superior, superior way, way by way. bonnie doll yes. yes could study that anchorage from her writings and find out okay that's a good anchorage was it in a bay It was in a bay off of the kind of the north end of uh, Cat Island. You you don't often anchor there because the weather has to be just perfect in order to anchor in that bay because it faces the open lake. And so you have nothing to protect you if the wind is going to switch over to the northeast. It'll blow right into that bay. Tens of miles of open water, which can bring in lots lots of waves and lots of wind. You see nothing out there. That's right. Yeah, it's really incredible. Uh, Just a a fact for the listeners is that if you're on the open water where the earth curves, you can only see two and a half miles before you lose the horizon at the water level. Now, if there's an obstacle higher than that, you can obviously see further. But that's how quickly the horizon drops off. So it's really quite interesting to see that expanse of water out in front of you. So we we anchored there. We had dinner. Oftentimes uh, we'll go to a local fishery and pick up anything from whitefish to lake trout. We got done with dinner and, and the beach is just beautiful. There's sand beach. We know that this island is uninhabited and we're about 200 yards offshore anchored. And so again, we jump into our dinghy. But before we do, we said, you know, let's go have a beach fire. 
Oh, by the way, let's bring along some fixings for some some cocktails. Maybe maybe some gin tonics. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Sounds good on a hot July night. Yes. So that's what we did. We brought a a, a canvas tote of uh, the cocktail fixings and threw that into the dinghy along with all four of us. And we we made our way to uh, Cat Island Beach. It was a calm night. There's not a ripple on the lake. Which is really quite rare to see that. Because we're going into shore, we left the anchor light on, on our sailing boat. And what that means is, you, of course, you still have to run an anchor light so that other boats, if they approach in the darkness, could see where your boat is. So we we got to shore, uh, throw the life jackets that we all had on into the dinghy, pulled our dinghy up onto shore, and we proceeded according to our plan. Build a fire. Build a fire and have a little party on the beach. That's right. And so we did that. So we're enjoying our cocktails and and becoming dark. And the first stars are beginning to shine. And so that's beautiful. And if any of you have been out on open water and you can see the stars at night and how they hang around you like a sphere right down to water, like like a a dome. Right. That's what it's like. And the Milky Way is brilliant. It's so dark up on, on the lake. And so you really see the stars. And so that was pretty incredible. Not only that, then some Northern lights started. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. These Northern lights, it's rare, but it happened to be one of those nights. They were in color. Vivid colors that were appearing. It was just extraordinary. That can make the trip by itself right there. Right there. Yeah, absolutely. I wish it had ended right there. <laughs> <laughs> but we were enjoying ourselves. Uh, we ran out of our cocktail mix, and, and, um, and so we were thinking, you know, we probably should be heading back pretty soon, back to the boat for a good night's sleep. Off to the east, I spotted a freighter coming by and you see those occasionally there it was out probably a mile uh, from where we were at could see its navigation lights on and it was it was heading towards the east or making its way inland to uh, Duluth I thought wow that's that's pretty interesting here we even we have stars northern lights and now a freighter going by as the freighter kind of leaves our line of vision to the left here comes another freighter right behind the first one to our right. Convoy. Convoy, yes. Never had seen a convoy of these freighters moving in. And they're pushing a lot of water. You know, for people, they're, they're maybe 500 feet, 700 feet, 1,000 feet long, and they're moving fast, You're faster prob- than your sailboat. Oh, probably 20 pushing, knots, yeah, 25 knots. What are they series. hauling? Coal or ore or... Sometimes ore, sometimes wheat, grains, uh, and it, it's an international port, so sure. they're from all over the world. Sometimes uh, the term salties is applied to these freighters. They're called salties because they're out in the ocean waters. Well, behind the second freighter, lo and behold, here's a third one. None of us had ever seen that before. We're three in a row. Th- three in a row in a convoy making its way east, and it's dark out. But we could see their their nav lights on. Thought, well, that's quite the sight. Well, we decided to get back to our boat. And 
But just about that time, we started hearing this wave washing up on the shore. And what that was, was the wake from the first freighter that had gone by. It's it w- such a beautiful sound, you know, it comes rippling up along in, along yeah. shoreline you like that. You can hear it a in. long sure. way. So that w- wave comes all the way in. So we, we guess, wow. You know, that's from that first freighter. And then we speculate, are we going to have a second and a third? So we kind of wait for that. And sure enough, here comes a second and third wake wave that comes crashing up on the shoreline. We thought, well, I guess the show's over now. We can head back to the boat. And we start doing that. About that time, we kick out the fire, uh, douse it with sand, make certain that it's out. And we head back to the beach to our dinghy. Lo and behold, our dinghy is gone. Well, what was that all about? Whoa. (laughs) Stranded we were, huh? So tell us uh, a little bit now about what did that mean for you guys? So we decided, you know, we're going to have to find that dinghy because there's no way we can get back out to our sailing vessel without the dinghy. It's 200 yards out. And while we had some good swimmers, that lake temperature water's you know, barely above 40 degrees. If uh, you attempted that and you couldn't swim all the way there, there's nobody there to rescue you. You would be on your own. Uh, Setting some search parties to comb the beach either way, thinking, well, maybe the dinghy bounced down with this wake wave. That's what we guessed brought brought the dinghy out. Reported back, nope, no sight of it. We really came to the realization we are stranded. You're on this island. Yeah. Um, It's dark. It's approaching midnight now. We all have half a buzz on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Probably so. And now it's time for Stories in Life Art from the Heart. Deep thoughts from the shallow end. Each episode, we bring you a poem, a song, or a reading just for you. Water Rat says, Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing around about in boats. Simply messing. So we're back with Mr. Anderson and the uh, stranded crew on Cat Island. In the Apostle Islands on Lake Superior. Okay, so all four of you are on shore. You know your dinghy's not around. It's not a joke. Did anybody volunteer to swim to to the boat or anything? Or Yeah, we had uh, uh, actually Charlie, who had dove into the lake earlier and is an accomplished swimmer. He volunteered, well, I could swim out to that boat. You know, as I thought about that, you know, I thought that that was kind of a, a reckless decision on his part to just forge ahead and, and 
consider doing that because I wanted the whole crew to talk about this, be part of a solution here, and to think about consequences. Well, if Charlie swam out, what if he got into trouble on his swim? It's I mean, too, the water's black, right? Right. You 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 could see you could see the uh, Clarabelle, the sailing vessel, out there because the anchor light was on. And it, again, it's about two hundred yards offshore in cold water. I said, well, before we jump to that conclusion, let's at least agree that we ought to wait until it's daylight, till we have some visibility here, so we can see what's going on. And the crew bought into that. They thought that was a good decision. Charlie, we had kind of began kicking around some ideas around how could we get out to the vessel. And the, the idea of a raft surfaced early as well. I had my, uh, my sailing knife along. I always carry that. Charlie wanted to borrow that and go start cutting some saplings now it's dark out, right? It's like midnight, something like that. It's very dark. It's it, late. It's pitch dark. Well, I think he's anxious around mm-hmm. this, and and uh, he later admitted that he thought that there was actually someone else on the island that intended to do us harm. So he, that was a little paranoia there, speaking. There right? was some paranoia because there, you guys right? are out in the middle of nowhere. The chances of somebody else being there would be pretty small, right? Right, right. So he he headed off kind of on his own. I asked the crew to get the the fire going again because the temperature's dropping. And so you have that cold lake water, acts like a huge air conditioner, probably got down into the high 40s, maybe low 50s at night. And we weren't dressed for overnight. No, you you guys were dressed for a party. We were, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. I had my uh, swim trunks on and I had a light sweatsuit outfit on over that. And the other uh, crew members were similarly dressed. And so we got the fire going and we said, we'll, we'll figure this out, but let's wait till daylight. So, so daylight, probably what, 4, 4.30 a.m. maybe at the earliest? Where you could really see well is probably about that time. Several of us just kind of hung around the fire shivering, even though you're close to it. And we're burning driftwood, which is so dry that it crackles and kicks out embers i i was felt like dozing off so i did but awoke at at one point with a burning ember on my leg burning right through my (laughs) sweat bottom so so, (laughs) that was interesting and each crew member kind of was going through their own thoughts and realization that hey we're stranded out here what are we going to do this was an age when nobody brought their cell phones to the beach this you had a radio on the ship on your sailboat you could call for help if you were on the sailboat right most likely there was not going to be a rescue right you had to figure this out on your own i mean the coast guard is shut they shut down at 7 p.m they have an emergency person they have an emergency number but you got to be you have to have a radio right 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 which we did not have we had a fire going uh, which can serve as some kind of signaling device, but there's no other vessels around. We did, we never saw one that evening, other than the the freighters that had caused all of this. Uh, one of the crew members was taking some meds for a stomach ailment, caused him a lot of anxiety, and so he kept feeding the fire for something to do, which increased all the sparks embers flying off from that. Charlie, he came back and reported that, no, the sapling idea wasn't going to 
work at all. Uh, they couldn't find any in the darkness to cut. So, and a pocket knife to cut them with, right? Right, just a pocket knife, my sailing knife, right? And the the other crew member, Mark, he was starting to get drowsy. Any finger pointing going on at this time or anger by anyone? Or? No, not really anger, but I think that there was some fright. What's going to happen? How do we how do we get out of yeah, this that's circumstance? That's a long time to, to sit and think about ramifications. Right. And the sand was so cold. You know, you were sitting on, on the beach at nighttime. Cold and damp. Right. We start seeing some daylight. And by this time, Charlie, who had kept moving around, started dragging up some drift logs. They were larger logs. Eventually, we had four of them. So this idea of building a raft evolved. We had four logs. Well, then what are we going to do with four logs? So we started thinking, well, we've got shoelaces on some of our shoes, and we've got drawstrings around sweats or hoodies or belts. And so we started collecting all of those items to use as a means to tie this raft together, lash it together. We even pulled that canvas bag over the bow end of this raft to kind of act and keep the front of the bow together. So we got that all accomplished and it's it's now a... So what time did you start doing that? Do you remember roughly? It's probably about 4.30. 4.30 in the morning. Starting to become dawn? Yes. And the crew needed something to do, having sure. spent the night laying on the beach by the fire. Mm-hmm. And all this time, here you can see that you know that that ship out there, our sailing vessel, is warm and comforting, mm-hmm. and we're shivering here in this island. But anyways, we get this raft kind of put together, and now the decision comes, well, what do we do with it? And we know by the size of this thing, it can only hold one person. Yeah, it's not the uh, Contiki. You know, mm-hmm. right. not that kind of story. Right. Again, we didn't have any life jackets. I elected myself after thinking through, you know, who could go out there. I'm a good swimmer, acting as captain, so it's my responsibility to put myself at danger before my crew members. You're the skipper. Yep. And you knew what to do once you got there, too. You know, to- right. You know, once we got to the ship, then what? Then what are we going to do? Right. The other crew members helped me shove off on this raft at probably about 4.30, quarter to 5 in the morning. And I had to keep my legs in the water in order to help stabilize the raft. And And Charlie had handed me a club that I think he was using for self-protection as my paddle. Makeshift paddle, huh? Yeah, makeshift paddle. And we, I paddled out to the ship and boarded, immediately changed into some warmer clothes. We had talked about this strategy. Well, once I'm there, what am I going to do? There's a process of in running the ship aground to bring it in closer that uh, I planned to do. And then prior to doing that, I would set a stern anchor out and then play that out as I proceeded to motor in to ground the, the vessel off. And that process is called kedging. And what you then can do is you've got an anchor you can pull backwards out of the sand because I was going to run this thing into the sand bottom, and I didn't want to be stuck there. Yeah, that was good thinking. I did that. And then the next phase of the survival story was that somebody remembered that rock that uh, we had found the day before with a hole through it. I was wondering about that, what the significance of that rock was. 
So I found that rock on board our boat, uh, tied a light line to it, went topside, hung onto the one end of the this long line, and I swung this rock around and around in a circular motion. David and Goliath. David and Goliath kind of throwing this. I think that's called a bolus mm. line. And threw this rock to shore. Well, the first attempt was ridiculous. It didn't go very far. I needed to practice. The second throw was much better, but still uh, insufficient. So on my third try, I was able to heave that rock, and I got it within probably 10 yards of the beach. One of the crew members waited out to retrieve it. And so now we had a line that went, and I'm about 75 yards from shore on the boat at this point. And still, that water is so cold, you do not want to be in it for more than a few seconds, if that. Uh, We had to figure out, what are we going to do now? So I tied a heavier line onto this light line and transferred that longer line to shore and tied its bitter end onto the raft And we were able to pull that raft back to shore. And I had another line attached to the stern end of that raft. And we were able to move that raft back and forth. Like a ferry. Like a ferry, yes. created a shuttle. Yeah. And we had all the crew member back on board by 6 a.m. on the boat. All safe. Good work. Yeah, I was overjoyed that we were all back on board. I immediately ordered a round of Bloody Marys to celebrate Good thinking. Uh, this accomplishment. And every crew member was ecstatic that they were on the boat, too. Absolutely. <laughs> so now became the imagine. question, can we back off from here? Because we're aground. In sand. In sand. Yeah. It was a sandy bottom. So the kedging idea worked perfectly along with some motor assistance, and we were able to back off back into deep water and be able to again, start moving. Did you ever find the dinghy? Well, that was the next challenge. Aha. Skipper had another challenge for the crew. Because this was a charter vessel, I would be responsible for any lost items off from this boat. You would have had to replace that. I would have had to replace this dinghy. Well, if you owned the vessel, you'd have to replace it anyway. (laughs) You're right. You're right. (laughs) It's kind of essential. Right. You need one of those. As we've learned from this story. Just how essential it is. <laughs> right. You know, how am I going to find this dinghy? And, and we're guessing that the winds had come up, which they had in the morning. That's the, the, the main worry I had the longer we stayed on this island. Because if the wind activity moved to be an adverse wind item for us, we could still be there on the island. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't swim against the waves or against the wind very comfortably on a log that's tied together with string. Yeah, they're moving around. They're barely buoyant to keep you out of the water. You're wet. As the wind did come up, it must have carried the raft. And based on the wind direction, crew and myself surmised that it headed in, in a particular direction. And so we were after going, proceeding on that direction. What color was the dinghy? It was a gray, okay. gray Which, color. So maybe not the most easy thing to see out there right no absolutely and to really in uh encourage spotters looking for this i put a hundred dollar finder's fee 
first person to spot this raft. Made it, not, a, made it a game. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I was really surprised that we didn't see it for the longest time as we were kind of making way. And this involved some turning on our boat, guessing based on wind activity. And we just lucked out that eventually we found the dinghy, brushed up against some rocks now on another island. We're going to have to anchor again because we don't have a dinghy, and we're going to have to create another raft in order to go retrieve it. And this time, we did not bring along our initial raft. To tow that in open water just does not make sense. Right. So we had cut that free, and we got to uh, where we were within, now. 150 yards of the of this dinghy in a rocky bottom anchored and then we fashioned a new raft out of boat fenders now a boat fender is a cylinder and acts as a cushion that you often hang on the side of your boats when you're docking probably like a bigger version of the ones they use on pontoons and docks so you Yes. Come crashing in. Yes. Again, I I decided I would be the one that would take and do this. We've tied these two fenders together, and they're kind of like a jet pack almost, Mm -hmm. except we'd wear it. I wore it on the front side of me to help keep my body up out of the water. I did have a life jacket on this time, though, uh, which was comforting to me to know I'd be buoyant and at least my body would be floating if, if somebody had to come after me. I swam just kicking against these fenders and made it to the raft. And inside the raft were all our life jackets, the two wars. The raft was safe and sound. And I think if I remember this, you told me that it, it moved like seven or eight miles in the night. Yes. That's, that's, that's a long way for that. That far? Yes. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. You know, when I think about that story, Gary, great problem solving, great teamwork, you know, keeping people organized around the goal. Lots so, of luck in finding that dinghy, too. Great, great luck. Yeah. But also, you know, being really conscious of safety. I think it w- there's a study out of the University of Toronto. Lake Superior water is so cold that if you fall in, you have a minute to decide what you're going to do to keep your breathing to the best of your ability. Ten minutes to make a decision about what you're going to do in an hour, and pretty much hypothermia takes over. So it's the one ten one plan. A minute to get your wits about you. Ten minutes to do what you're going to do in an hour to survive in that lake. So it's amazing how cold that was and how you made it all work to a good end. Right. You know, it's a, it's a team thinking of uh, coming together because everybody had different ideas around how to approach us and, and what ultimately worked with the idea that hey, we do not want a drowning here. We want to get back to the mainland or at least back on the boat. We had a radio there that we could make a call did you continue with your four-day trip, or did it, somebody want to go home? Or, yeah. <laughs> I think we were all pretty well tired out of this trip, and it was our fourth day. It was our oh, planned okay. planned end, and so we made our way back to port. It's been an important story to tell people ever since because when you get in those survival situations, thinking through how to do that and having this internal strength to follow it through instead of just saying, I give up. Yeah, and giving up up there, especially since you you did not have cell phones or cell phone coverage, giving up would have been chaos. People would have wandered off and who knows how that would have ended. It's a great story of keeping that team together and doing some great problem solving. Great ending. 
Good. Great, <laughs> ending. Yeah, great ending. Great ending. Great ending. Well, thanks, Gary. Appreciate you being here to share that story today. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing back from our listeners about what they think about it and any other story that you might want to share in the future and bring along to us. Pleasure Sounds having great. you on, Gary. That's yeah, a fun story to recall. Thanks, guys. Well, that was a great show, Joe. Uh, I've known Gary a long time. That's a great story of the kinds of skills that he's brought to our relationship over the years. Yeah, my takeaway, I think, was that, you know, on one hand, he's obviously an adventurer. He, he loves to take calculated risks and, and that sort of thing. He also is a very methodical thinker. He uh, takes advantage of his knowledge and is very methodical in his decision making that helped the four guys get out of that tight situation. Yes. And for our listeners, I was on that sale. I was a young sailor with not a lot of experience. Gary really stepped up and Carried the water on that one, getting us off the island and back home. It was a good skipper right down to ordering up those uh, that round of Bloody Marys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure who had to mix those. Uh, but yes, they certainly listened to the skipper. Also, listeners, we mentioned a book early on uh, written by Grace Lee Newt, N-U-T-E, called Lake Superior. It's a really fantastic uh, story of early decades and centuries on Lake Superior. We also mentioned The Superior Way, written by Ron and Bonnie Dahl, two teachers from Rice Lake, Wisconsin. And then we had a poem from Kenneth Graham and music from Hans Zimmer, uh, music from Dune called Stranded. Thanks for listening. That was great. Thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us again next time on Stories in Life, on the radio with Mark and Joe, and visit our website at storiesinlife.buzzsprout.com. That's storiesinlife.buzzsprout.com.